Welcome to Your Career Podcast, the podcast that helps to ensure your career success. To start getting on track with your career, download my free career goals calendar from thecareersacademy.online. My goals calendar includes a smart goals template and a weekly tasks sheet that will ensure step-by-step you get closer to reaching your career goals. So download my goals calendar today at thecareersacademy.online. Now on with the show. Welcome to Jane Jackson Careers, a podcast that takes your career to the next level. Here's your host, Jane Jackson, author of Amazon Careers bestseller, Navigating Career Crossroads. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. Welcome back to my careers podcast, where I interview fascinating professionals who have made significant career changes. Now, today, I'm very fortunate to have Lindsay Spencer Matthews on the show. Now, Lindsay is a privately practicing psychologist who specializes in helping people have a rich, full and meaningful life in spite of their circumstances. Now, Lindsay has held several diverse roles in his career, and they're really quite interesting. From butcher delivery boy to corporate spy, multi-level marketer to security guard, actor to author, Lindsay's life has included heartache, tragedy, failure, triumphs, and extraordinary success. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to find out more. Now, he does not deliver life solutions from an ivory tower enveloped in that superior air some professionals encase themselves in. He scraped his knees more than once and done dumb things too. It's these foibles and experiences that make him truly believable and engaging. Through his role now as great change maker, Lindsay is on a mission to change the world more than one person at a time. He does this through his corporation training and speaking activities, as well as his book, Why Clever People Do Dumb Things. His focus is on teaching individuals and organizations how to change those automatic behaviors and habits that sometimes frustratingly rule our business and personal lives. So let's welcome Lindsay to the podcast and a big good morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Jane. It's fantastic to be talking to you. Yeah. Oh, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing your whole story because this from butcher, butcher delivery boy all the way to actor and author, it sounds amazing. <laughs> it may need to become a series. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. This this may be more than one podcast. But anyway, I'm really, really glad to have you on the show. Um, and you're the first person I'm interviewing in 2016. So that's great. So how about to kick us off, tell us a little bit about your early days and what sort of career did you dream about when you were a little boy? Well, I guess I'm the antithesis of what Jane Jackson's all about, because uh, I never actually discovered what it was that I wanted to be when I grew up. And that that is my story today as well. Um, my dear old dad was a typewriter technician, uh, and he 
was one of the pioneers of the computer age. He went to America when I was 12 to learn how to build those massive, clunky IBM-type computers uh, that cost about $12 million and would now be eclipsed by your wristwatch. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so uh, I, was, uh, I, I grew up in an innovative household. My dad was uh, an incredibly intelligent and well-meaning person and everything that's decent about me I owe to him. Uh, sadly, he died middle of last year. Um, but uh, so I, I grew up with a, a father that never had a real career direction and so I didn't have that in my genes. So I kind of wandered when I left school and uh, found my way into sales and discovered that uh, it was something that I was extremely good at and uh, spent the best part of two decades being a very successful salesman who had a, a fairly incredible turnover of jobs. I didn't, I've, I've always had trouble suffering fools gladly and uh, I've got a fairly high sense of, uh, of integrity and morals. And so if an organisation or a product or a boss asked me to do something that compromised that, uh, I was quite willing to leave and, uh, and did so many, many times, but was never out of work. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the early start of my career. It was, uh, uh, I guess I could almost be described as a dilettante that... Mm. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I looked for the next shiny toy and was fortunate enough to be able to find it. It was a, uh, I was incredibly lucky that it was a time of almost 100% employment. Uh, there was a time in the late 70s where uh, I was retrenched, probably one of the worst experiences of my life. And um, I remember uh, saying to my then wife that you know there were 300,000 people unemployed, and I was 300,001. And what was I going to do for a job? Uh, but I turned out I was only out of work about two weeks, even then. Uh, so there you go. That's the uh, that's a, a, a brief glimpse into the early part of my uh, my career. Mm, now it sounds interesting when you were saying about uh, being retrenched in the late seventies. So obviously that was during a, a time of recession, and it only took you two weeks to get back on your feet again. Would you attribute that to your sales ability? And I, absolutely, yeah. I'm uh, I'm an incredibly effective interviewee. Uh, uh, it was unusual uh, in those first 20 years of my working life for me not to be offered the job at interview. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember I went for one job uh, where the guy, incredibly, the guy was doing over 100 interviews and I was the first person and he said, I'm happy to tell the other 99 to go away. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it's it's indicative of where my head was at the time is that I knocked the job back. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think part of it was the uh, I uh, uh, I was perceived as being in short supply. That I uh, one of my interview techniques was to very quickly try and get the interviewer to tell me why I would want to work for them. Mm. Uh, and that change of dynamic in the interview uh, tended to be a really powerful one that uh, you know, I was then coming from the position of relative authority uh, and power mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it made it. Uh, now, I think in fairness, I have to say that in the 21st century, I think I would hope that HR people and interviewers are more sophisticated than they were back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but I would still recommend that as a uh, as a technique for people to respect what you're bringing to the job, uh, and literally say to the people, "Why would someone like me be a good fit and wish to come and work within your organisation?" And uh, there's there's no reason why that wouldn't cast you in a really good light. Yeah, absolutely. I, as you know, I'm I'm a career coach, and I absolutely. I 
assist people in with their interview techniques as well. And too many people sit in an interview and uh, and wait for people to ask them questions and then they just mm-hmm. respond rather than thinking a bit more consultatively and thinking, you know, how would I be a good fit? So good technique way back in the 70s, Lindsay. Well done. <laughs> now back to you because this is all about you today. I yep. want to find out because in your bio you have told me that you had a bit of a stint as a corporate spy. Now what's mm-hmm. going on there? Well, that was a very interesting two years of my life. Uh, I was employed by probably one of the nicest men I've ever met, and I, I, I think I'll do my best to keep the identity of the organisation mm-hmm. uh, uh, off the air. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was a, a large multinational organisation who was engaged in the world of uh, corporate credit reporting, and uh, they were attempting at that stage to encourage other large organisations to literally free for, for no money to give them their um, debtors ledger uh, on a monthly basis on uh, electronic format so that this company could aggregate it and then sell that information in aggregate form to the rest of the world. And it was uh, quite a radical concept and they had been trying for nearly five years to get it to work and I think there had been eight predecessors prior to me uh, and between the eight of them, uh, they had managed to encourage something like five organisations to contribute. So the pool of information wasn't enough to be able to use uh, because it had to be uh, confidential. You couldn't be able to identify who had contributed the information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this wonderful man, uh, uh, ex-Vietnam vet, uh, phenomenal guy, employed me and when he rang and offered me the job, he said, I'm offering you this job because I can't do it and I think you can and I'm willing to give you whatever help you need, but I'm not going to be able to teach you or do anything other than be a support person to you. Are you willing to take it on that basis? And, uh, you know, that's like heroin to me. And, uh, <laughs> and so I, the I, challenge, I, the challenge. I formed a uh, collaboration with this guy and spent, and I told him it will take me at least six months to get any results. And uh, that was one of the problems was that they expected people to be able to go out into the corporate world and just convert people. And I knew it was going to be a very long relationship sell. And so I bought that first six months from him. And at the end of that six months, uh, that sixth month, I think I bought 18 large companies on board. And uh, it, it went on from there. I think I bought in 12 the next month and 11 the next month. And I, it was just a really uh, a slow sales cycle. And none of them had realized it. And because I was a professional salesperson, I realized that was what they were doing wrong. And... Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was a, a fascinating thing to do. Uh, I really loved it. I loved the guy that I worked for. His first name was Rod. So if he ever listens to this, he'll know that I'm uh, talking him up very well here. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it was a, a, a really exciting time. Mm, God, that, that sounds absolutely amazing. I, I think um, it must have been quite an exciting time for you and your career as well. And so, how long were you doing that before you moved on? Well, I was doing that for two years, and that was unfortunately my second retrenchment. Oh. Uh, I'm a fairly difficult person to manage. The wonderful man that employed me realised that for me to thrive, I needed autonomy. Unfortunately, his boss, who happened to be the general manager of the company, was a micromanager, and he believed that a manager's job is to control. And uh, so uh, the general manager and I were at loggerheads from day one, basically, and when I started to get phenomenal results, their whole uh, remuneration package was based on small numbers. And uh, because of the numbers that I was bringing in, they had they'd not anticipated that anyone would be as successful as I was. Uh, I, I was earning a fabulous amount of money, and the general manager took that very badly. 
uh, and ultimately uh, changed the structure of the company purely to get rid of me. Oh, that was a bit drastic, wasn't it? But you know what I'm noticing here is that there's a bit of a trend because if you're hard to manage, you like to work really autonomously, do it your way, plus very, very strong sales capabilities, that's veering towards entrepreneurship, isn't it? Because a lot of entrepreneurs display those tendencies too. Definitely. And uh, as as I'm sure you realise, as an entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship is a really challenging field to be in. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it's common knowledge that entrepreneurs fail more than most people. Mm. And uh, you know, the, the combination of uh, risk, uh, embracing risk and being willing to tolerate failure uh, is, a, is a, a fairly thin part of the gene pool, I think. Yeah, and I think also as long as you really believe in what you've got to offer as well and that never-say-die attitude, of course, entrepreneurs, they, they're going to fail. They're going to get back up again, get knocked down again, get back up again. But that's part of the challenge and the fun, isn't it? It is, um, but there is, uh, there's a, a number of elements that entrepreneurs need to succeed and one of those is an ability to get on with people, mm. uh, to be able to nurture networks and uh you know, put up with people's idiosyncrasies and those kind of things. And uh, uh, I think, in all honesty, I have to say that's one area that I don't shine in as an entrepreneur. <laughs> okay. Well, moving on then, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's more interesting stuff in your career that I really want to delve into because we've got multi-level marketer to security guard. So <laughs> what, what, what was going on? Tell me a bit about the multi-level marketing side first. Well, uh my wife and I had uh, the uh, the good fortune. We we worked very hard to do it as well. Uh, we became uh, relatively wealthy uh, through real estate investment, and um, so I uh, I stopped work for about five years. And uh, we were we were, it was when our it was in two thousand and one. We had a little boy, and uh, uh, we decided to be full time parents, and uh, unequivocally the best five years of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, sorry, I got I got sidetracked a moment there, reflecting on how wonderful that five years was. Oh well, have, the thing is, is that starting a family and having children, it's it's part of that rich tapestry of life, and it's it's mm. lovely that it sort of gets you a little bit emotional, and you know you remember all the the wonderful sides of it as well. So so you were enjoying family life. Both of you had taken time off away from uh, the the corporate life and and mm-hmm. working. And so, how did you get into multi level marketing? Was this something you decided to dabble in? Because it would it be was, fun, or what was it? The, one of the triggers for it was that I was diagnosed with leukemia in two thousand and three, oh. and uh, it's a. Uh, I mean, I'm like, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I, mm-hmm. I tell that to people frequently, and there's roughly four types of leukemia you can get. And if they passed a law saying people had to have leukemia, everyone would want the one I've got. Uh, and uh, it's a very slow-moving uh, white cell. Uh, I mean, leukemia means a cancer of the blood, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and my body was producing white blood cells that were unhealthy and that didn't die in their normally allotted 30 days, that mine have a tendency to endure for years and years and years, some of them. And... Uh, it's environmentally triggered, I discovered, that it's either electromagnetic fields or toxins in the food or, uh, or personal health care uh, supply. And so I actively went looking for ways to reduce my exposure to toxins. And uh, it was the uh, – I, I discovered this company by sheer chance and the only way you could access their products was through multi-level marketing. And I had already explored 
the world of MLM from a business perspective because I think it's the most democratic business that you can get. Um, and so I decided to kill two birds with a one stone. Uh, we put a fair amount of effort into MLM over a couple of years and discovered that uh, we're not the kind of people that are necessarily going to succeed. Uh, you know, I'm an, I've always been an intellectual salesperson, not a pushy salesperson. And uh, if people don't want to buy from me, I'm totally happy with that. But my observation about success in MLM is that it tends to be the people that relentlessly follow up their downline and are a little bit pushy and uh, are willing to burn people by pressuring them. Uh, that's the generalisation that I would make about uh, MLM success. And it wasn't for me. So uh, we continue to support that company to this day. We've still got a downline to this day. We still get a check every month. It's only a measly few hundred bucks now. But it, uh, you know, it's better than the poker now with a hot stick and it doesn't cost <laughs> us anything to do it. So, uh, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan for MLM and I, I uh, have in my, uh, in my network of friends a number of people who make good money out of uh, multi-level marketing. But uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not for everybody. Yeah, actually, it's interesting because a number of my clients have asked me about multi-level marketing as well. And um, you do need that strong determination and relentless energy mm. to continue to sell all the time. Because if yeah. you're not, not selling, you're not going to be able to grow your, your territory and grow the number of people who are going to be getting on board as well. And one of the ways that uh, MLM is often missold to people is that all you need to do is produce a downline and then they'll produce a downline and they'll produce a downline. And that's on the surface of it, that makes sense. But if that was the case, Coke wouldn't need to advertise. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the reality is you've got to be continuing to motivate your downline and to get them to motivate their downline and get them out. And the people that succeed are the people that see it as a a, a normal kind of a job and they define what their KPIs and their duties are and they go about that on a daily basis mm. and they then winnow out from their downline the other people who are willing to do that and you end up with a you know, whole bunch of people doing what you're doing and uh, and it becomes a very robust and relatively stable business. Mm, yes, I, I, have, I know a number of people personally who've done very well out of it, but they are—they do work very, very hard at it. Yes, indeed. Uh, in yep. order to make it a success, and it's not. A lot of people get into it thinking it's going to be quite easy, but actually, mm. it, it's not. So yep. now, multi-level marketing. So that's still ticking along in the background, although that's not your main main business at all now. Mm -hmm. What about this security guard? actor bit in your career <laughs> where does that fit in <laughs> okay well th those things are not put in any kind of uh, uh temporal order mm. uh when i was in my early 20s uh as a young married parent uh we were desperately trying to save the deposit for a house so i drove a taxi for a few years mm -hmm. and uh, then i became a security guard for a few years both as part-time jobs and um uh, I think I'd rather be a security guard than a taxi driver, mm -hmm. uh, but it's a it's a fine line because I got uh, I got shot at once as a security guard, mm -hmm. and uh, and I arrested somebody once as a security guard. Mm -hmm. So uh, th they were the most interesting things, but uh, 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 more interesting stories out of the taxi industry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I'm sure you know. Actually, it's funny that you should say you're a security guard. I'll share a little known secret about me: is that I also was a security guard wow. at one stage. <laughs> Who would have thought? You know. That's Right. Little, little half Chinese, half English girl. It was when I was at university in Minnesota and I worked on student security and I used to go patrolling um, all of the academic and the dorm 
buildings and mm-hmm. locking locking all the doors and busting parties. But I got invited to more parties than I busted. So <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. It was not a career for a career path for me either. Oh dear. Well unfortunately mine was nowhere that romantic. I was a, I was an armed security guard yeah. looking after uh, all sorts of interesting things and uh yes it was a uh, a challenging job. Yeah, but you know, what it shows is you've got to do what you've got to do, especially in the early days when you're trying to build up your nest egg as well. And you mm. think, okay, so do I need to take two or three jobs on? Am I going to be, you know, am I actually willing to try something new or something different in order to get the money coming in? Sometimes it's a matter of necessity. And mm. what about acting? You were an actor at some stage too. Yes, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of uh, amateur theatricals, um, uh, straight theatre and um, musical theatre, uh, and I've been in. Uh, I've had the lead role in a number of, uh, uh, of of amateur roles. It's been absolutely fantastic. I've the uh, applause is another drug. Uh, once you've stood on stage, as I'm sure you've done with your speaking work, mm-hmm. that once you've got you know four or five hundred people. Uh, giving you uh, applause for something you've just delivered, uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal feeling. And uh, the camaraderie that exists in amateur theatre through uh, you know, all working towards a common goal, everybody being having the right uh, dis- intent of being there uh, and then delivering at the end, and even if it's imperfect, uh, the audience is forgiving as well. Uh, it's just a fantastic experience. I love mm, it. Mm. It's a little bit like a, a huge adrenaline rush and a bit of a drug, isn't it? Totally, yeah. totally. Now, here's another thing. We have so much in common, Lindsay. We're just discovering mm. this over the podcast. I also love amateur drama. And in Singapore, I used to be part of the Singapore Stage Club, and we did all of these pantomimes. And you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. Three months of rehearsals where everyone becomes really, really close to each other. You get to know each other so well. And mm. then fi- finally, when you get, you know, the opening night, it's so exciting. And it's such a downer when, when the run ends. You know, mm. when it's the end and it's the final curtain. You think, oh, I know I've got to wait for another year before the next pantomime comes around because I, I, I just do panto. I'm not a very good actress. I just enjoy being very dramatic about certain things. But, um, yeah, definitely lots and lots of fun. Now... I- Oh. I, I, sorry, just as an aside, I did the uh, the lead in a Ben Elton play called Silly Cow, uh-huh. and um, or the male lead anyway, yeah. and um, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I delivered the whole thing in a Cockney accent, mm-hmm. and at the end of one of the nights, the actors mingle with the uh, with the audience in amateur theatre, and uh, this fellow came up to me and to congratulate me on the night, and I said, oh, thanks very much, and he reared back, he said, good God, you're not really a Cockney. <laughs> <laughs> So. <laughs> Isn't it great being able to put on different voices? And Lindsay, you have had such a rich life. It's so interesting. And and then now, now you're an author, the author of Why Clever People Do Dumb Things and you're a psychologist. Now, yeah. you now have become, I want to come into present day and what you're doing now. You are now the great change maker. Tell me about your, your business now and exactly what do you do and how are you changing the world more than one person at a time? Okay, the genesis of the name was a, a wonderful woman named Heather Yelland who runs uh, youth camps uh, pretty much all over the world. And we were talking about the evolution of my career and uh, and she just said, well, you know, really, you're the great change maker. But is what you do, and so that we decided to run with that, uh, not through any 
uh, inflated ego thing of, you know, I'm, I'm great and I'm the change maker. It's that I have the capacity for, to facilitate great change in people's lives. And um, uh, it's always bothered me. I've, I've, I know empirically that I'm a very intelligent person. I've been tested again and again and again as part of my journey to become a psychologist. And it's always niggled at the back of my mind how somebody who as demonstrably intelligent as me, how could such a person do so many stupid things? And uh, it, it, and I, I finally found the answer, and it was only about seven or eight years ago that it, it finally all came together, that everything gelled professionally and personally for me. And uh, that was where I guess the genesis of the book began, where uh, I finally worked out why, why clever people do dumb things. And, uh, and that path ultimately led me to the book. And the idea of the book is that I only get to see, even though I've got a very busy psychological practice, I only get to see 250 to 300 people a year. And that's really frustrating because uh, the majority of those people experience phenomenal change. I, I measure the change that exists in my clients. And on average, I double their sense of well-being in approximately six sessions. So I, I know that I'm really good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really wanted to expose it to a broader audience and so that's why I began to open my career up to, uh, you know, to public speaking, to doing uh, talks at Lions Clubs and those sorts of things, and to writing the book. So that's where the great change maker is hopefully taking me. Oh, that sounds so interesting. Now, where can people find this book? They can find it uh, uh, on Amazon, but I don't necessarily recommend that. It's a really difficult site to negotiate, I find. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they really wanted to, they could get it there. They could uh, visit uh, my website, which is greatchangemaker.com.au, mm-hmm. uh, or they could send me an email at lindsay at greatchangemaker.com.au and I'll make sure they, uh, if, they, if they're happy to get an electronic version of it, then I'm happy to give it to them for free. Uh, or I'll give them mates rates if they wanted to buy one. Uh-huh. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll be putting these on the show notes on my website at janejacksoncoach.com and I'll have the Lindsay's email address as well as his website and also Twitter handle there, which happens to be at Great Changemaker, which is G-R, the number eight, Changemaker, if you want to follow Lindsay on Twitter as well. Okay, and so now tell me a little bit about your psychological practice as well psychology practice rather (laughs) okay um well i've I've been a psychologist for 21 years now uh i practiced in melbourne before my wife and i moved up to queensland and started a a little family of one uh or three i should say (laughs) and um i then uh, went into uh optional retirement uh went spectacularly broke about probably eight years ago now i think and um, uh, that uh, necessitated me generating an income again, and so I went back into psychology. And uh, I'm, I keep saying I'm the luckiest man in the world. Uh, I was basically, by, by economic circumstances, driven back to doing what I love. And uh, I, I do a lot of kind of philosophical pondering, and I wonder whether that's what the universe actually wants me to do, which is uh, you know, why it wasn't willing to let me stay wealthy. Um, but if that's the way it is, that's the way it is. I get to spend... Uh, I, I work for 11-hour days a week, and uh, it's so good that uh, at the end, when I finish work at about 7.30 at night, most days I walk out the front and go, wow, it's dark. I don't even, you know, it feels like I've been at work for 10 minutes, even though I've seen, you know, I've spent eight hours um, face-to-face with clients. So, uh, yeah, my, my objective is to help people change the way they think about the way they think, and uh 
I got a real insight into it in a uh, a talk that I did for a group of business people a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I always open my small talks up to questions. And this one guy put his hand up and he said, um, he said, Lindsay, I don't mean to trivialise what you've just told us, but uh, it really just seems like common sense. And I said, thanks, that's a really nice insight. Uh, do you mind if I ask the group a couple of questions before I uh, respond to it? He said, yeah, go for it. And I said, who agrees with our friend here that you know, what I've just described to you sounds like common sense? Well, everyone put their hands up. Mm. I said, that's fantastic. means I've got an intelligent audience. That's brilliant. I said, now put, put your hands up again if you had ever actually thought about it in the context that I put it to you today. And not one hand went up. Mm. I said, what does that tell you about common sense? Common sense is available to intelligent people, but they don't tend to use it. And my job as a psychologist and an author and a public speaker is to awaken common sense where it's possible. And unfortunately, you've got to have a modicum of intelligence to be able to have any real common sense. Uh, So there is a proportion of the population that will never understand what I'm talking about. But in business, you find that I'm I'm talking to the 85% of people who are in the normal or above range of, uh, of intelligence. And it resonates and they get it and it changes their lives. And that is just so exciting. Mm. You know, it, it, it's that aha moment that suddenly someone thinks, oh, for goodness sake, I knew that. Why didn't I act on it? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, getting back to what we said about earlier mm. about the uh, interview technique, mm. I, I, th- I think one of the secrets of life is asking meaningful questions. Mm. Uh, there's a lovely quote floating around the Facebook, uh, floating around Facebook somewhere from the Dalai Lama that says, "If you are, uh, if you're, if you're say, if you're speaking things, you're only saying things that you know. Yeah. But if you are asking questions, you're likely to learn something that you never knew." Yes, yes, I saw that as well. It, it's so insightful. The more you mm. listen, the more you learn. Mm. And, and you know, there's there's something that keeps coming across as we're talking, Lindsay. You exude, absolutely exude joy and positivity. It's like you just, <laughs> it, it's it's just, it's nice just listening to you talk. When will your next public talk be? Uh, well, I haven't got a public one scheduled as yet. Uh, I've, I've taken a bit of a break. 2015 was a really challenging year for me on a number of fronts. Mm. And I'm so encouraged that that's what's coming through in this conversation mm. because uh, uh, one of the things that I say to my clients is, uh, you know, if I can consider myself the luckiest man in the world, there's no reason why you can't. Mm. Uh, that I've got a lot of stuff that doesn't work in my life and uh, that should be no impediment to you feeling as though you're the luckiest person in the world. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I don't have another public uh, talk. I'm, I'm doing talks for closed groups, mm-hmm. uh, for psychologists and people like that. But, uh, yeah, I haven't got a public talk arranged. Sounds like you're uh, feeling there might be a demand for it, Jane. I think there will be. And certainly the minute there is, you better tell me because I'm going to promote it like a crazy person. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, would, I would respond to that in a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. I, I just, it's it's so interesting talking to you. And, and unfortunately, you know, I, I, I need to wind it up as I've got a certain time limit here. But I, I've got to have you back on the show again. I want to delve more into the power of positivity. I want to find out why clever people do dumb things and also find out a lot more about all of your stories too because I think we've got an awful lot in common. Now I've got a special offer or you are offering a special offer for my podcast listeners and I'm just going to go through that now so everybody knows what it is. Okay so what Lindsay is providing is he's very kindly providing 
to our podcast listeners a significant discount on his workplace mentoring sessions. And these sessions are designed to provide you with a neutral experience and qualified professional to bounce ideas off, gain perspective on issues or to just explore important decisions or life transitions. So 50 minutes work mentoring session, which is delivered via Skype or phone, normally costs $330 plus GST. However, for a limited time, Lindsay is happy to discount that by over 50% to $150, including GST. Now, that's a really, really good bargain um, for this amazing coaching opportunity. So whether it be for work or your personal life, engaging a personal mentor gives you a safe and confidential arena to help you get through extraordinary life transitions. And Lindsay has helped over 300 clients a year to maintain or get their lives back on track. He uses a style that, whilst challenging, is very collaborative and works together with you to find workable solutions in a short amount of time. Now, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So to redeem this, please email the great changemaker himself, um, info at greatchangemaker.com.au and just mention this podcast, Jane Jackson Careers, and you will get the special discount. So that's a very generous offer, Lindsay. And I just want to repeat his book, Why Clever People Do Dumb Things, can be found on his website, which is greatchangemaker.com.au. Is there anything else you'd like to mention, Lindsay? Uh, the only thing that occurred to me as you were giving me that very generous uh, plug mm. was that uh, given that we've given the Twitter handle of GR8Changemaker, mm. uh, the website is fully spelled out. It's G-R-E-A-T Changemaker. So okay. that's uh, that's the only thing there. But uh, thank you, Jane. You've been incredibly generous with that. And uh, I've had a lot of fun. It's been a delight talking to you. Yeah. Oh, it's been amazing. Security guard. We've both been security guards. We've both been in Amdram. We both like being on the stage. I have not done any spying. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done the James Bond thing. I'm not Jane Bond, but I think I might need to give that a go at some stage. And but, I've, um, I've tried when people have said, uh, have asked me to introduce myself. I've tried to, I've tried saying Spencer Matthews, Lindsay Spencer Matthews, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but I think you'll be able to make people laugh as well. And certainly I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very much on a high after talking to you. That that was great. So thank you so much for your time. We will be having Lindsay Spencer Matthews back in 2016 for sure. And um, look for all of the information on my show notes at Jane Jackson Careers or janejacksoncoach.com. Thanks again, Lindsay. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Jane. Cheers. Okay, bye. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. You can get a free audiobook download and free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. There are over 180,000 book titles to choose, so give it a go and get your free audiobook today from audibletrial.com forward slash Jane Jackson Careers. You've been listening to Jane Jackson Careers. Sign up to receive regular career advice at janejacksoncoach.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Your Career Podcast, I invite you to check out my career success program at 
thecareersacademy.online. The Career Success Program is the original program that uniquely provides 24-7 on-demand career support and fortnightly live career coaching sessions to keep you on track to reach your career goals. It is the essential resource for anyone who wants to manage their career effectively, make a career change and land the job they'll love. Whether you're in exploration mode or seeking a new career direction and need help to make it a reality, the Career Success Program is for you. Not only do you get access to my step-by-step roadmap to navigate your career crossroads, my extensive training library and exclusive members-only discounts and tools, you'll also become part of my supportive community of professionals who will help you with feedback, encouragement and advice. All this and more makes the Career Success Program the number one place to be for anyone looking to start, manage and grow their career. Check it out and join me at thecareersacademy.online.